You're listening to The Frequency of Creativity with Melinda Harkerley. Welcome everyone to The Frequency of Creativity, where we are at the intersection of energy and art. I'm your host, Melinda Harkerley, and to find out how art can bring understanding and light into your life and expand your world, sign up for my newsletter at melindaharcurley.com. Today, I am really looking forward to our conversation with the accomplished and award-winning artist, Renee Stout. Welcome, Renee. Thank you, Melinda. (laughs) Renee, I first became aware of your work through a podcast that we did on the museum exhibit, The Supernatural in America, The Paranormal in American Art. It's uh, at the, it was, depending on when you're listening to this po- uh, podcast, at the Minneapolis Institute of Art. And in there, Renee, you have a featured work called The Root Workers Work Table. And you also wrote an essay, which was so helpful and really entering into the work. And that's part of the um, exhibition catalog. But Renee, before we start to talk, I just want to share with our listeners how truly accomplished you are. You have work that is part of the um, permanent collections of the Metropolitan Museum of Art, the National Gallery of Art, the National Museum of African American History and Culture, the Hirshhorn Museum, the Federal Reserve Board, uh, the San Francisco of Museum of Fine Art, the Rhode Island School of Design, and I could go on and (laughs) on. And if I had to guess, you're in about 50 permanent museum collections. You also have a number of solo exhibitions across the country and even more group exhibitions. And I'm just going to highlight a few of your awards. You have the Polly Krasner Foundation Award twice, the Joan Mitchell's Painter and Sculptor's Grant Award, the Women's Caucus for Art Lifetime Achievement Award, the National Endowment for the Arts Mid-Atlantic Regional Fellowship, and maybe this is your most important to you, the Alumni Achievement Award from (laughs) Carnegie Mellon, where you got your BFA degree. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Congratulations, Renee, on everything you've accomplished, and you have a lot more years of work in you, I know, so congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Um, So as I started off the podcast, and what the overall theme or one of the themes of your wide body of work is I really felt that you trust yourself and you trust yourself in your work. And Renee, I think you're brave in your work. You're pushing boundaries. And that's the title of our talk today. Renee Stout, trusting yourself in art. Yeah. I mean, you know what, when you said that, it made me think back to a story I tell every once in a while, you know, to people 
when they wonder how I arrived at making the kind of work that I make, you know, since it's so varied now. And, you know, I was trained in Carnegie Mellon as a painter. And I thought that I was going to be a painter forever. So I did that for several years. Uh, but then at one point, I started uh, working at a Montessori school when I moved from Pittsburgh to DC. Mm-hmm. And I worked for four years with three and four year olds. And when I watched them create, it really reminded me of where creativity comes from. So suddenly I'm looking at the four years of being trained to think and look at the world in a certain way. But then after that, I'm looking at three and four year olds really access creativity in a way that has nothing to do with degrees or anything else. It's not being measured by anything outside themselves. It's just like what's coming from them internally. And that lesson stuck with me. It's like, you know, always remember that that inner child within me who sees the world in an open way and receives the information and wants to create based on what you perceive, what you digest. I had to go back to that again and remind myself that there's always going to be a three and four year old in there. That's the artist. So I trust the three and four year old artists more than I trust the 65 year old. (laughs) I love that. And this is a perfect, I'm so sorry. We're going to have to go to a very short break, but Renee, before we do, can you please share with our listeners where they can find out more about you and see your work? I'm represented by the Mark Strauss Gallery in New York City and also the Hemp Hill Artworks uh, Gallery here in Washington, D.C. And they have websites and you can Google. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you, listeners. Please stay with us as we talk so much more about Renee's accomplished work. Thank you for listening to the Superpower Network. If you're ready to transform yourself and transform the world through podcasting, we invite you to join us. We co-create a non-competitive, collaborative environment designed to support you as you step into your greatness. Go now to superpowerexperts.com and click on the Programs tab to get started today. We're back with the Frequency of Creativity, where we are at the intersection of energy and art. Renee, I love that story because both of my kids went to a Montessori school and just coming from that place of the inner child. And I remember reading, and tell me if this is true or not, that you first start about thinking about being an artist when you were at the Carnegie Art Museum and you saw these small glass bottles that really fascinated you. It was what what happened was when I was in like fourth grade, my fourth grade art teacher, you know, in Pittsburgh public school systems around fourth grade, art teachers were asked to identify children that they thought would be gifted in the arts and suggest um, the Saturday art classes. And I was one of the children that was uh, picked by my fourth grade art teacher and my father and mother, uh, they were notified by my art teacher that, you know, they perhaps they might want to take me to these Saturday art classes that the Carnegie Museum was offering. And so they said, OK, of course, you know, so my father would get up every Saturday morning and make sure I got to the car, you know, the Carnegie Museum of Art. But it was I would say it wasn't just a few things in the museum. There were I mean, just being exposed to everything in the Natural History Museum, everything from the shrunken heads to mummies, you know, to all kinds of ethnographic things, the art, you know, it was just everything that I was you know, attracted to in the museum that, you know, 
opened my mind and creativity. Well, and just for listeners, I'm from the Pittsburgh area as well. The Carnegie Museum has the largest collection of dinosaurs outside of the Natural uh, History Museum in New York. So through Andrew Carnegie, he funded and we're very fortunate in Pittsburgh to have such a uh, first rate museum there. So let's go to the first piece that I saw of yours through the exhibit Supernatural America, the Paranormal in American Art, called The Root Workers Work Table. Renee, share about this sculpture installation with us. Yes, it's a really complex piece, and it's what I call a tableau, where it's not quite an installation because it doesn't fill up a room, but it it is like something built on a wall that has multiple parts to it. And I have an ongoing story in my head because I'm also a storyteller. You know, I have this rich sort of drama playing out in my head with all these characters that move in and out. And I have an alter ego who is a root woman. And what a root woman is, is, you know, when enslaved Africans were brought to America, they brought their religions with them. But once they got here, they had to sort of bury those religions and become Christian. Well, the vestiges of those religions are still in our culture, if you know where to look. And as an African-American woman, as a young artist, I started thinking, what does it mean to be African-American? And so I started also looking at the religions. And, you know, you go down to New Orleans. See, if you if anybody has ever visited New Orleans, it's out in the open there. You know that there is like some vestiges of African, you know, African religions right out there in the culture where you don't see that so much in Washington, D.C., except I know where to find it in D.C. It's just not so open. So I just started doing this whole history on women who had continued continued these traditions, these spiritual traditions. And sometimes they call them root workers because they have knowledge of herbs and they know how to you know, concoct remedies from you know, nature's um, bounty to, you know, people couldn't afford doctors at some point in time, but these women had knowledge of um, herbal remedies. And so in my mind, my root woman, she provides this service for the community as well as gives consultations for people spiritually or, you know, if they're trying to overcome some adverse situation. She's like an advisor as well. So she's the alter ego. And I just create these stories. Well, at some point in time, I wanted the viewer to sort of experience this. So I started getting away from painting and started doing mixed media and creating a whole environment and objects that would almost be the props for the story to let, you know, I have to show the viewer what I'm trying to say. So if I tell you that there's a root worker and she's doing, you know, concocting remedies and things like that, where is she doing it? She's at the root worker's work table. So you basically see a sort of slice of her world and it enables you to imagine what she may be doing there. Mm-hmm. I like the viewer to feel like I'm letting them in on the story and, you know, letting them be a voyeur and, you know, see something that perhaps they shouldn't be looking at. Um, and that's if anyone goes on the Internet and looks at Supernatural America, you'll be able to see the root workers work table and be able to visualize everything that Renee is describing. And Renee, from your essay, I really like, I'm going to quote from it, and I really like 
this point that you make. I realized that adopting the root worker's persona uh, that enabled me to process all the things going on in the world that troubled me, but rather than take the position of a victim and succumb, succumb to feelings of frustration and helplessness, my root worker persona provided a sense of empowerment and transcendence. Deciding that while I was physically in this world gone mad, I didn't have to be of it. And I refused to let the chaos alter and distort my personality. Yeah, you know, it's like that sums up exactly what I'm saying about going back to that three-year-old child that, you know, just has this creativity and they're unaware of what's going on around them. So they're being their pure selves. And once you become an adult and you're aware of what's going on around you and how you can let those things affect you and, you know, make you upset or depressed or, you know, frustrated and feeling like you, you have no power, I choose not to do that. I choose to imagine worlds that I create that, you know, to me, when whenever you want to transcend something that is, you know, not a good situation. It starts with your perception and the way you're going to deal with it from within your own mind. So creating these characters that are empowered basically makes me feel empowered. And that's how that has worked for me. Where do you find the strength to do this, Renee? Because you're putting work out there that is um, groundbreaking that is not in the typical art history canon. And obviously it's been very well accepted. And where do you get the strength to be so visible in your work without any apology? You know, it took me a long time to get to that point. And I think that, especially as women, we're told by society that, you know, our voices you know, shouldn't be as prominent as, you know, men are the ones with things to say. Men are the ones with all the answers and, you know, that kind of thing. And I think that because I had the type of parents that I had that nurtured my creativity and didn't really try to stifle my voice or tell me what I had to do, it, I felt free to always be myself. Even though I was shy growing up, I was very shy and I'm still an introvert. But I think, okay, wait till I pause till I kind of laugh at that for a minute. <laughs> and I, I feel that because of what I have to say and the way I've observed, I want to share with the world what I'm thinking, you know, alternative ways of seeing things. And I feel like that's what we need to do to challenge those stereotypes and notions of what women should be and how we should behave and that kind of thing. So I, even though I'm an introvert and I can be a little shy, there's that part of me that says, I'm not going to let that stand in my way either. <laughs> well, you are not introverted in your artwork. No, I'm not. <laughs> Renee, um, and you have such a wide body of work. What is, is there one experience or one piece or one exhibit that really pushed you, that pushed your faith in yourself, that pushed your trust in yourself? Is there any one experience that was just really challenged you in being so open and authentic in your work? 
I would have to say that around 1992, uh, I was really exploring the connections between being African and, you know, being African-American. And what does that mean? I'm American. I've never lived in, you know, I've never lived in Africa yet. You know, there are these traditions and these sort of cultural things that yet persist within the African-American community. And I wanted to explore that more, you know, like the root worker. Um, And so when I started looking into that kind of thing, one thing led to another. And like I said, I went to New Orleans and made connections and, you know, just reading books on, you know, African art and African philosophy. And I just started connecting the dots to the point where there was a period where I really allowed what I was creating to be openly influenced by the African art I was seeing at the Smithsonian, you know, Museum of African Art here in in D.C., and just really loving the aesthetics of it. And so I did a whole body of work that was influenced by the works that I was seeing at that museum. And a man who um, is an expert on these African forms of, uh, you know, ritualistic objects happened to see my work and made the suggestion to the Smithsonian Museum of African Art that they take my work and do a joint show of my work juxtaposed against or with these traditional African pieces Mm. uh, from the early 20th century and and before in museums as far as like Belgium. So they flew these objects here and they did a one person show for me with these. And I happened to be the first American to show in the Museum of African Art. Oh my goodness. And what happened was I had been doing that work, but people didn't really understand what I was doing. And the fact that they did that show and had a beautiful catalog to go with it, it just opened up, you know, a whole new way of seeing my work and kind of put me on the map as an artist. So I'd have to say that that was a turning point in my career that, um, you know, really set me off on this, uh, this journey to be, you know, an artist whose work had been, you know, placed out in the, you know, the art world. Renee, how in, you know, make, did you create new work just for that exhibit specifically? No, what happened was they saw what I had been doing mm-hmm. and they started selecting things to okay. form a really good group of works that illustrated what he was trying to say. You know, the idea that here's an African-American artist who's never been to Africa, yet from what he was seeing, based on his knowledge of what African, what was going on in the African spiritual objects and traditions, that I naturally had an understanding of what I was seeing, which is why I was gravitating towards it. You know, how did you feel when that exhibit opened? Um, Here you are the first, as you said, American to exhibit work that was all, you know, from the continent of Africa. How did you feel? Did you feel the pressure of being a spokesperson, a woman, uh, first generation, you know, American? What, What I felt was that I knew that even in the African American community, there was a fear of these traditional 
um, African spiritual and traditional objects because of Christianity. You know, we live in a culture that's, you know, predominantly a Christian culture and to the point where this country tries to push that that should be an official religion, even though they're saying, you know, there should be a a separation of church and state to prevent that kind of thing. It's still, especially when what we're looking at right now, there's that kind of push to make people, you know, have to be able to look through everything in the world that's spiritual from the lens of Christianity. And for me to have um, certain people who had knowledge of these traditional African spiritual belief systems look at what I was doing, to me, it just felt like, wow, you know, I've embraced some of my ancestors' traditions and somebody's helping me to expose it mm-hmm. to the world and say, these things continue, you know, and I'm going to do it fearlessly. I have no fear of my ancestors' religions and, you know, what they believed and that kind of thing. Every world and every cult, every, you know, everybody in the world and all these cultures has a way of viewing the unseen. You know, we all have different ways of doing it. And I don't feel that anybody's way is more valid than anybody else's. We all just have different ways of doing it. And I have to thank my mother and father for that because they never forced me and my sister to have to think about a higher power or a greater force in any kind of way. So I'm very open, you know, to the world and religions, but I just happen to gravitate towards these, you know, African traditions because I'm African-American. And Renee, you started off your career um, from this perspective. Like when I look at your work you've always had this same theme of exploring your heritage. And it seems like this has been your focus from day one. Is that true? You know, I think it has been since early on in my career, because like I was saying, when I first came out of um, school and went to college, I looked at art through that totally Western lens of being a painter. You know, Edward Hopper, Edward Hopper's Nighthawks was the first painting that ever made me say, I want to be an artist. I want to paint like that. Right. And then there were the photo photo realists like Robert Cottingham, you know, and and Robert Bechtel and people like that. And I wanted to paint realistically because I thought that's what art was. You know, I didn't realize that art could be taken to a whole new level where it speaks in metaphors and symbolism and that kind of thing. And when I started really looking at African art and opening up my mind in that way, you know, early on, I started to say, this is what, this is where I want to be. You know, I I, want to look at the world this way in this open way where I can, you know, deal with symbolism and metaphor, but do it with a certain kind of spiritual, um, you know, background, backdrop or whatever. Um, yeah, so it, it, it feels good to be in this place because when I'm making my work, I tell people it feels like I'm in church. The studio is church because I think that that's when my, I'm my most open and spiritual and connected to the universe. So that's why I've continued to work in this way. So, Renee, when you say that, and I can really relate to that because I paint out in the woods Mm -hmm. and I feel the same way when I'm outside in the middle of the forest. Yes. Uh, So when you say that your studio is being in church, how do you put yourself in that place? You know, I don't know how I get to that place. I just realize sometimes I'm in it. (laughs) 
It's like when I walk up into that studio and I'm going to work for the day, sometimes I choose music to put on as a backdrop and paint. And then some days I just want complete silence. And all you can hear is the traffic out on Florida Avenue here in D.C., which is a main drag. So, you know, I'm painting to horns and sirens and that (laughs) type of thing. But when you get lost and you're in that zone and you're focusing on your work and you're deep into it, making the decisions that you make about color or form or whatever you're doing and you're lost, that's when the connection happens because something takes over. It's almost like you're on autopilot and you're trusting you know, yourself to create and pull it out of yourself. To me, that's when you're at your most open and connected to the universe. Uh, so I don't know how I, I don't consciously go in there and say, this is going to happen. I just start working and the next thing I know I'm in it. And when I come out of it, it's almost like, oh, suddenly I'm hungry. Oh, I'm in the real world you know, stop and go down and get something to eat, come back up. Next thing you know, you're back in that space or that zone again. Renee, what does it feel like to be in that zone and to be painting? Are you conscious of what you're doing? Do you feel that you connect to another energy? Are you somewhere else? Do you even know where you are? Do you connect with an alter ego that you've created? Can you kind of share what that experience is like? For you, what I've told people that it feels like when I try to explain that zone on some level, I'm there consciously, of course, because I'm, you know, making decisions about, you know, what color, you know, paint to put here or what object to put here or whatever. But I also have always felt that while I am doing this, it's as if I'm in a theater and I'm on the stage, like as if I'm at standing at that, you know, root workers root table. And there is like these tiers of people all around me watching. I I can't say if it's the ancestors or spirits in the universe, but it's almost like I'm being observed while I'm doing this. And it's it you 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 almost have this double consciousness going on where I feel like I'm not alone. You know that somebody's inspiring me. I'm feeling them watching me, but at the same time, I'm actually doing the work. And it's just a weird you know weird experience. Do you do anything to facilitate that connection? Do you meditate? Do you to try to recreate that really important connection? Do you do anything consciously to facilitate that? No, I don't do anything to facilitate it because what happens is all I have to do is go in the studio and start working. And at some point, you naturally just slide into it. And to me, you know, people say, well, you know, I get up in the morning and I meditate. I don't know how to meditate. I don't know how to sit and tune out everything. My brain doesn't stop. I have to, you know, I have a million things going on at one time. I think what happens is my meditation comes once I start doing that work and get lost in that zone. That is the meditation. Because sometimes I will go in that studio and there might be an issue I'm thinking about. And then once I'm working on the work, that gets put in the back of my mind. And I'm just making the decisions about the work that's in front of me. But then sometimes after I take a break, I can find that whatever it was I was thinking about, suddenly I have the answer for that, you know, or the course of action to take. It's as if I went into a meditation and I was simultaneously actually working on what the issue was and trying to figure it out. So yeah, it's, it's yeah, meditation is to me the work. Um, so Renee, you just said that, you know, when you're in your studio and you're making decisions, what color do you feel that you're making the decision by yourself? 
you know, I I feel like I'm making the decision by myself, but sometimes I'm so caught up in the the doing of it and making choices that I I'm thinking I'm making the choice. Sometimes I'm just auto, like I said on automatic pilot. By the time I get done, sometimes there's some happy accidents. Like, oh, what made you do that? You know what I mean? You <laughs> yes. love it because something took over and you just did it, you know? And sometimes what can happen too that I, I, I find is funny. When I go to start a new piece, I can't be on the phone. I can't have any distractions. Mm-hmm. I just have to focus. But what happens sometimes, once I finally get started, a good friend can call and I can put the phone on speaker and I'm running my mouth. And all of a sudden, when I get off the phone, I got so much done because you're on automatic (laughs) pilot. It's the automatic pilot that I love because that's where everything happens. I think your subconscious takes over and you're uninhibited. You're just doing, you know, what's coming out of you. And so, yeah, sometimes the phone could be a good distraction to, to, you know, make me not be so self-conscious about what's in front of me. And I also loved a, a YouTube video showed you uh, rollerblading in your studio. Yeah, it was roller skating. Those are quads, what they call quads, <laughs> okay. you know, traditional roller skates. Because <laughs> when the pandemic hit, you know, you couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't go to an indoor roller skate. I, I you know, when before COVID, I went roller skating three times a week. Wow. And yeah. And see, I haven't been back to an indoor rink yet. I'm gearing up to go to one. But even if I do go to one, I'm going to wear a mask on the inside. But uh, before that, you couldn't go anywhere because that video you saw was taken at the height of the pandemic and, and the you know quarantine and everything. So I would push the work table in my studio out of the way, sweep the floor to make sure there wasn't any debris. And then I would put on music and skate around in the studio, which is very small. <laughs> Um, Renee, in people listening to this podcast, and there will be aspiring artists, and what would, do you have any help or wisdom you can share with people that are either starting out or mid-career, or what's the most important aspect of being an artist? To To me, the most important aspect of being an artist is why you're actually actually doing it. You know, it's like I feel like we're in a time in the art world where sometimes the reasons for doing it can get lost because, you know, you suddenly have art stars, you know, and artists who are focused on to the point where they're celebrities. And I think sometimes young artists can get caught up in wanting to aspire to that instead of the art that they're making and what they're trying to communicate through their art or what part of the story of human existence they're trying to tell us through their art. And that's the thing that I ask young people to try to think about. Why are you making the art? You know, do you want to be rich and famous? You know, that doesn't happen often, you know, or is it that you really truly want to be an artist because you you feel like you have something to say, you really want to contribute something that will help society figure it out. We're all trying to figure it out, right? And if you want to do that for those reasons, you have to be willing to do the art even when nobody's looking because their you know, careers go you know, up and down and sometimes they don't go anywhere. But if you're truly an artist, you make the art because you're driven to do it and you believe in what you're doing. So that's why, you know, that's to, to me the important thing. Why are you doing it? So, Renee, as we start to close up on the podcast, what do you want to leave with our audience? 
about you and your work? Well, I would just say that as an artist, I'm just hoping that what I'm contributing, you know, what I'm putting out in the world will be yet another dot for future generations to connect the dots, to see the bigger picture of what was happening in the time that I lived in. What did I do to contribute to trying to make sense of it? You know what I mean? Like when you look at an artist like Francisco Goya, it tells you something about the time he lived in, the political turmoil, you know, how he saw that. I'm hoping that my work works in that same way. Like I'm just providing yet, you know, one more crumb or clue to make sense of. And these are some times that are going to have to be made sense of. So, <laughs> so that's what I'm hoping that I'm doing. Renee, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And I just want to say, um, I really admire you as a person and I admire your work. And the reason that I do is that you are so authentic and everything that you're talking about, young people uh, and aspiring artists, you are an example of that in your work. I think you're very brave and very courageous because you're pushing boundaries and you are very true to yourself. So congratulations. Thank you so much for that, Melinda. Um, and before we leave, can you please share with our listeners one more time where they can find out about you and see more of your work? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm, uh, I show with the Mark Strauss Gallery in New York and Hemp Hill Artworks here in D.C. And if you just punch my name into Google, all kinds of stuff comes up. You can go down a rabbit hole finding stuff. So it's out there. <laughs> which, which I did. <laughs> so thank you so much for being with us. Thank today. you for having me and inviting me to speak about the work. I appreciate it. And thank you listeners too, for being with us on the frequency of creativity, where we are at the intersection of energy and art. Thank you for listening to the Superpower Network. Go now to superpowerexperts.com to unlock your superpowers and change your life today.